wrapping up a half century here on Bike Life by ringing in the new Grand Prix season. Welcome to Bike Life. Let's go! Unbelievably, this is episode 50 of Bike Live here in on Motorsport 101. We bring up a half century here on our new home by previewing the Moto 2 and Moto 3 Grand Prix seasons, which are kind of underway as we speak. We speak as Moto 2 are busy practicing uh, in Qatar at the moment. The new Grand Prix season is finally upon us. Um, and after previewing MotoGP last week, we're going to shine a light on the lower classes this weekend, which is kind of ironic because the lights of Qatar will not be shining on them uh, this weekend. They're running in the daytime. Uh, both classes are going to have something of a refresh this season with the champion and runner-up from both Moto2 and 3 moving on to past this new one, moving up um, to be more precise, which means that we will have new champions in both of those classes. Uh, what can we expect from the Moto2 class, which is the final season, we will see Honda Power, and the Moto3 class, which, frankly, you can never totally predict. Um, whatever happens, we look forward to seeing how these lower classes get on as the season goes on, as well as MotoGP, which also, of course, gets underway this weekend. And there has been big brick news on that this weekend um, as well. Uh, we'll touch on that right at the start of the show before we move on to our season previews. And joining me to do that um, is Andre Harrison. I mean, Dre, it's been a hell of a long winter, and just by purely looking on, bikes on track at the moment watching Fabio Quartararo pick his speed up out of a gravel trap I don't think he's too happy to see the season starting but I think we're delighted to see bikes back at last yeah my my gosh uh happy 50th by the way um that's like I can't believe we've had 50 rebooted shows yeah. already that's that's ridiculous but um god it's 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 just nice to see bikes again that meaningful bikes obviously no as I'm firmly in the camp of what David Emmett says that they shouldn't really bother recording testing because testing's boring. So, you know, I, I'm 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 thoroughly glad that you know we're we're back with proper bikes, uh, meaningful action, and and coverage and lights and Qatar's always a you know a, a beautiful scene for a Grand Prix. You know, um, despite obvious issues with being in Qatar. But um, besides that, I mean, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just, I can't, can't wait to get the season started again. It's, it's, there's so much to look forward to where that's concerned. So, yeah, you know, hopefully it will be a nice compliment to that. Yeah, uh, it's kind of kind of funny, isn't it, in a sense that even for a show like this, which is meant to not even talk about the most GB class, we end up talking at the start of it about Valentino Rossi. But um, we can't not mention it because the, he has dominated the headlines typically. Um, in the lead up to this weekend's Grand Prix because he has officially announced his future, Dre. We, we, should, we must start with that just before we start with our season previews of Moto2, Moto3. Valentino Rossi has officially confirmed that he has signed a new two-year contract extension with Movistar Yamaha, which means he'll stay with that team until the end of the 2020 season, which means he will be racing in MotoGP well into his 40s. That's incredible, isn't it? <laughs> Um, also, the fact that we're opening a Moto2 yeah. and Moto3 season preview with, 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 with while talking about Valentino Rossi. Hey, he runs a team in these classes, right? <laughs> Since when did he start working for MCN? Yeah. Now, <laughs> but um, no, it, it's it's a big piece of news. Obviously, it's, it's Valentino Rossi. Like we, we, he is still in, in in the realm of MotoGP. He um and yes um is that no matter which way you slice it no matter how you feel about my man that is an unbelievable achievement it's like he might be the one man in the history of sport that might be able to beat father time it's it's he's, he's still unbeaten but valentino rossi refuses to retire he's um he's incredible I and mean, the fact he's 
pass barring anything significant at the age of 41. I think that'll be his 20th season in the top flight as well. Um, that's 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 ridiculous um, by any measure. Like like most riders are around the other side of the hill by 31, 32. And despite that, Rossi is now going to be deep into his 40s and still competitive, still you know, able to win Grand Prix still has a ridiculous level of racecraft that no one else in the field could really possess on their day. It's it, it's he's, he's incredible. There's no matter which way you slice it, and it's, it's obviously it's fantastic for the sport that he's still going to be around for another couple of years. He's still as popular as ever. And the one relevance I suppose it has to these two classes that we're going to talk about today is that his Sky VR46 team that runs in these classes, Moto Two, Moto Three. Um, will not be seen in MotoGP for now, um, certainly for as long as he's riding. So it'll be at least another three years before we see Sky VR46 in the MotoGP class. Um, but we will be seeing the rider who uh, runs the team in the Premier class. And um, by my calculations, because he debuted in the 125s in 96, didn't he? So by my rough maths, that means that the second year of this new two-year contract will be his 25th Grand Prix campaign in all classes. A quarter of a century um, spent racing. Um, Literally a generation. Um, yeah, which is frankly incredible. Um, so um, so salute the doctor, who's still going to be sticking around for the next um, two, three years. Um, but we're here to talk about the classes below MotoGP, and we'll do that after telling you the places you can find us um, here on Motorsport 101. Uh, on Twitter, we are at Motorsport underscore 101. Uh, on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. Our website is motorsport101.net. Um, if you want to uh, catch Dre's recent Google Hangouts and all the regular Dre briefs that take place over there, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101 for that. Um, and if you like us so much that you want to back us financially and yourself early access to both this show and to the regular weekly Motorsport 101 podcast, which is now weekly again, um, head to patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. And this is the point where I normally come to Dre and um, ask him to tell all of you the lovely listeners what you can expect on the brand new episode of Motorsport 101, episode 126. But Dre wasn't on it this week uh, because, unfortunately, um, work got in the way. Um, but let me tell you, we had a busy five-person booth this week. Six, if you include Zoe's uh, very vocal dog, Floyd, um, who voiced... Who approved the- this? Yeah. Who sanctioned this? Yeah. Like, this, this, this wasn't my decision, Technically, people. Technically, it was me. Um, because uh, editorially, I had a pretty big decision to make uh, as I was listening to the uh, recording of this podcast. Um, and for those that don't really know the intricacies of how these shows are made, um, in the case of Motorsport 101, we record our individual separate audio tracks, and then um, once I have to edit it, I then basically pull them all together and sync them up afterwards. With Zoe's track, I had a decision. Um, there was a lot of... Um, dog barking going on in the background and i thought the longer it went and the funnier it got i thought i'm just gonna leave this in <laughs> this is <laughs> this is much funnier just to leave this in um so that is the noise you can often hear in the background um as uh, as floyd um voices his opinion um on the season opener of indycar um which um, just to touch on that drake because that is the big focus of episode one two yes. six um I mean, I, I previewed the Moto3 this season for the Checker Flag and entitled it Expect- Unexpected. Um, we got the Unexpected in the IndyCar opener too, didn't we? Oh my gosh, what a weekend it was. Robert, like, If anyone had Robert Wickens dominating the weekend, put your hand down, you're a goddamn liar. I don't care I don't care if you're like Robert Wickens' fiance. You still didn't believe he was going to dominate this entire weekend. Um, the, the rookie, oh, well, technically a rookie and all but name really, given his previous single seat and DCM experience, but still, Robert Wickens... Robbed. 
He was absolutely stone cold robbed by being collected at turn one with two laps to go by new series heel Alexander Rossi, um, who tried a desperate lunge into turn one, got you know basically got all four wheels on on the paint, which was which was a real problem the whole weekend at St Petersburg. Um, no adhesive on the paint like they normally have year on year, so people were going left and right. All over the place. It was, that was, it was particularly bad in qualifying, for what it's worth. But um, during the race itself, it, 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 Rossi got it on the got it on the marbles, lost control, puts Wickens in the wall, and Sebastian Bourdais sneaks through Jason Bradbury style no. from uh, from the Winter Olympics and steals a, a back-to-back St. Petersburg victory at home for him. Um, so, you know, home hometown and all, but name again, really for for Seb Bourdais there. Ray Hall and and Rossi would end up finishing third instead of a potential first. Um, which angered pretty much the entire IndyCar community. Like, where's the consistency here? Um, basically, it, it was a manic race. We'll talk all about it on the podcast. Over 350 overtakes, which, which, which given um, uh, there was a lot of skepticism about the new aero kits, um, the lot to squash that concern. Um, all the ups and downs. Some of the ABC's coverage getting plastered. Um, Scott Dixon deciding to go full kamikaze on the back of Takuma Sato didn't exactly help either. But um, an absolutely manic first race in St. Petersburg. Um, and apparently five people in the booth, six if you include the dog, as you do. Um, so if you, if you haven't already listened to it, uh, check it out, episode 126. It'll be up by the time this goes out. Yes, it will indeed. Uh, RJ O'Connell, Ryan King, Zoe Hamilton, Danny Brennan, and Charles Reginball, the five the five humans in the booth um, for this week's edition. One K9 to go with them. Um, so check that out um, when you can, as Dre mentioned. By the time you listen to this, it will already be up online and ready for you uh, to listen to. All right then, let's look ahead to the Moto2 season first. We'll come on to Moto3 uh, in a little bit. Um, let's first of all give you the calendar, which is kind of nifty because it's the same for both classes. It's the same as the MotoGP calendar. Long gone are the days uh, when MotoGP would go off and race at Laguna Seca and leave the lower classes behind. Um, all the <laughs> classes go to every single venue. Um, so let's talk Moto2, um, which interestingly at the moment is being topped in the first practice session by a rookie, um, which we'll talk about um, in a little bit. Calendar starts as it does this weekend in Qatar. I usually say under the lights, but in the case of the lower classes, it's not. Um, because to try and uh, shuffle the, um, the schedule forward, they're running in the daytime. Although Moto2, curiously, will start during the daytime and end at night, um, given that they're starting the Moto2 Grand Prix on Sunday 20 minutes before sundown. Um, uh, Abu, Dhabi, Abu Dhabi style, yeah. so it's like it's, it's a twilight race. It's a twilight race. Moto three will be completely in the daytime, apart from the Friday evening practice session, which takes place um, later. I've, on, I've, I've got the se- I've got the session live on my phone right now, and it's like it is really weird yeah. seeing this in the daytime. It is you just don't you just don't see it normally. It's like it's, it's really, uh, really weird. Yeah, it kind of gives you more of a more of an impression of just how vast the place is and how um, little there is around the venue. Um, but yeah, Moto GP, Moto Two, Moto Three—they all start in Qatar this weekend before moving on to the Argentine Grand Prix um, on the eighth of April. The Grand Prix of the Americas, which will have an American rider to support in Moto Two, Joe Roberts, on April the twenty-second. Um, the European season starts on May the sixth with the first of four Spanish rounds at Jerez and before round five at Le Mans. If you like your Moto Three, then mark June the third because that's the Italian Grand Prix at Mugello. It always that's... delivers. Um, Catalonia's round 7 on the newly relayed circuit to Barcelona Catalonia Assen is also another round that always provides excitement in the lower classes 1st of July for the Dutch TT at Assen um, the uh, German Grand Prix at the Saxon Ring is on July the 15th the uh, Czech Republic Grand Prix at Brno 
um, kicks off the second half of the season, the other side of the summer break on August the 5th. That's back-to-back -back with Austria, uh, August the 12th. The British Grand Prix is on the August Bank Holiday weekend. It's the 26th of August um, at Silverstone. Um, Mizano hosts round 13 on the 9th of September before the penultimate European round in Aragon, September the 23rd, uh, before four flyaways, starting with the brand-new circuit or the brand-new venue in Thailand. And for Moto2 and 3, it is brand-new because they haven't tested there. Um, so mm -hmm. it's a completely brand new challenge for all of the riders in Moto2 and 3. Uh, the three more traditional flyaways of uh, Motegi, Phillip Island and uh, Sepang following back-to-back -back weeks across October and the start of November before the season finale, um, 18th of November in Valencia. Will we have championships going down to the wire? Because in these two classes, we didn't last year. And in fact, in Moto2, we have never had a championship finale take place in the final race of the season. We have once gotten to Valencia with a title undecided 2011, but Mark Marquez had to miss that round of injury. So essentially, just by turning up, Stefan Bradle won the title, um, which was a bit of an climax. Um, so is this season going to be any different? Well, let's first of all tell you how last season finished. Franco Morbidelli won the championship with a race to spare um, from Thomas Lutti, who ended up missing the last two races through injury. He won the championship in the end by 65 points, um, which may be flattered Morbidelli ever so slightly. Now, Miguel Oliveira won the final three races of the season to take third in the championship and very nearly second. He was only two points off Luti in the end. Um, mm. With uh, Alex Marquez in fourth. Um, Francesco Bagnaia, quite clearly the rookie of the year in fifth um, after a sensational season. Mattia Pasini, um, with a bit of an Indian summer in his Grand Prix career, to take sixth overall with that brilliant victory um, at home at Mugello. Takaki Nakagami, another man MotoGP bound. He, he was seventh last year ahead of uh, Brad Binder, who also enjoyed an impressive rookie campaign. Uh, Simone Corsi was ninth on the first of the speed-ups, and Havish Sayarin, another rider with MotoGP in his future now, rounded out the top ten. Um, as I mentioned, Dre, um, Moto2 last season didn't go down to the wire. Morbidelli clinched it a race from home. It's impossible at this stage to predict um, if the Moto2 championship is going to go to the wire, but there's any reason to suggest that this Moto2 campaign will be perhaps as open as anyone that's preceded it. I think so. Um, I, I, like, this is the first time I can genuinely say about a Moto2 season that I think there could be five or six dudes who could win this title. Um, it's it's a lot more open, and I think that was always going to happen eventually when we found out eventually that you know four of last season's top ten ends up going to MotoGP, and you know one significant front runner in, in Moto2 from the past has gone back down as well with Sam Lowe's coming back into the class as well. Um, the, the series is stacked, and, and and for the first time, it feels like like it's not just going to be like two or three dudes at the top of whoever's on a Mark VDS is going to automatically be title favourite. Um, it doesn't quite feel like that this time round, um, and that's a good thing. That's a very good thing, and Absolutely. and it's, it's, like it's so unpredictable. And I think the main reason for me that, um, as well as the riders moving out of Moto Two into Moto GP, I think the other reason that it's so open this season is that. For the first time, really, since Mark Marquez won the title in 2012, we have genuine constructor competition um, in yes. Moto2. It's not just a Calix benefit now. There is genuine, uh, there is a genuine head-to-head -head brewing between Calix and the upstarts of last year, KTM. Like I, I like that. Like in any context, we're calling KTM upstarts. That's cute, but uh, but uh, given the juggernaut of money that there are yeah. behind them. But um, yes, you're absolutely right. I mean, again, like the story of Moto2 the last few years has basically been Cadex dominance. Like they pretty much single-handedly pretty much pushed Suter out of the sport. 
Like, and I think Mark Marquez was the last guy to win a major title on said Suter chassis. Since then, I think it's it's pretty much all been Calexes all the way, and and Suter's influence is, is just diminished as time has gone on. To the fact it felt like more like a, a, a one chassis series, and. Well, now, obviously, with Miguel Oliveira pretty much leading the charge with Brad Binder towards the end of last season, it looks more and more now like KTM are going to pose a serious threat to Calax, and, and they are in the mix and have been right from the start of the season. In fact, in, in, in the Haref test, they had the top three spots locked, locked in on combined time. So it's looking a lot like KTM have got a chassis at worst on the level of Calax, and that alone should make it interesting. It's about time that that, that Calex had a, a bit of competition in the class, I think. So um, that that alone will make it intriguing. And seeing the differences between the two on track, I think will be will be very intriguing. Yeah, and I think it's going to be good for the sport as well, good for the class. If we, if even if we have races this season where perhaps some certain circuits, the Calex is going to be the more suitable chassis, and others the KTM, it'll just make it a much more variable uh, series as well. But yeah, if you go back to the start of 2013, the post Marquez era. Um, post Mark Marquez era, should I say, because we do have Alex in Moto2 now. Um, since 2013 began, uh, Calix had gone on a run of winning 77 out of 89 races in the Moto2 class. Jesus. Um, that goes up to the end of last year. If you go up to the um, Mategi race last year, they'd won 77 out of 86, and of course have lost the last three to KTM. Um, it genuinely does look like a different class now um, with uh, Moto2. Um, and I think there'll be a lot of chassis manufacturers that will be evaluating this season and seeing how they get on because, of course, it's the last of the um, Honda-powered Moto2 years. Mm. They've been the Moto2 engine suppliers ever since this class um, came into inception at the start of 2010 when they took over from 250cc. Um, and Triumph are coming in for the start of next season, which is which is an interesting story. We'll be moving from 600cc Honda CBR engines to the 775 Triumphs. Um, mm. which um, is exciting for Moto2. I mean, Honda have done a tremendous job um, for this Moto2 class. I mean, how, how rare do we ever see Moto2 bikes breaking down? Um, it just does not happen. Um, Next to so, zero, so Honda yeah. Honda have done a brilliant job. And um, I think we're excited, aren't we? As much as we're looking forward to this season, next season will be interesting. I mean, we're going to have Triumph bikes, um, Triumph Moto2 bikes, 775cc bikes that will be almost as powerful as the MotoGP bikes of the mid-2000s. Yeah, like I'm hearing talk of 200 horsepower and I'm hearing talk of um, nearly 200 mile an hour top speeds we're talking here. So, um, yeah, I've, I've, I've heard rumblings regarding that, that these are going to be in exceptionally powerful. Um, and I've seen testing footage. They are loud as hell, these bikes as well. They, they, they roar these triumphs. So there's a lot to look forward to. I mean... Like in in terms of entertainment and in terms of perceived value, I think Moto Two's been a bit of felt has felt a bit like a sideshow um, compared to Moto Three, which has been batshit crazy the last few years, and Moto GP has, has gone from strength to strength in the last two or three seasons. Moto Two's felt like a little bit of a like a, a lost child in this case, and compared to compared to the other series, and I'm glad that it's getting such investment from KTM as as well as. Um, <clears throat> 
pardon me, um, some, obviously a, a, a fresh lease of life with Triumph now being the official supplier, and just a fundamentally different class again in general. The Moto2 era has, has had its ups and downs, and it's it's produced some fantastic champions, and I'm glad to see that it's getting another lease of life with a, with a new investment and just basically finding out where, where the series goes from here. We have all together six different chassis suppliers in, in Moto2. We'll, we'll try and touch on them all, although we're expecting more from some than others. We're expecting the championship to be disputed between riders on Calyxes and KTMs. But we also have the Tech 3 Mistrals. Um, if you believe what Herve Poncheral said last winter, this might well be the last year of the Tech 3 Mistral in Moto2. Um, they'll be running Bo Benchneider, uh, who is one of the many rookies in Moto2, alongside Remy Gardner. They, of course, um, are running a rookie in MotoGP as well this year. Um, we have Speed Up, as usual. They have two new riders this season. We'll tell you about them uh, in a little bit. Um, we also have Suter, who initially announced that they were going to pull out of the series last year, and then decided they were going to do an about turn and stick around with the forward team. Um, so we'll tell you about them later on. And we also have the new boys of NTS, um, which have been running in previously uh, in Spanish Championship. They are now running in the World Championship for the first time as a regular entrant. Um, but let's stick with Calix and KTM for, for now, because we're expecting these guys um, to dispute the race victories and the World Championship up the front. Um, and it's, it's your initial hunch, Dre, isn't it, often with these classes, when you're looking at your preseason title favourites to look at the fastest or highest placed rider that's still around in the class from the year before, with Morbidelli and Luti last year's top two moving up. Um, but I don't think that's the only reason this season to have Miguel Oliveira as your title favourite. Um, I think with the bookies, he is the favourite. And the way Oliveira ended last season um, would have sent shivers down the spines of many Moto2 rider and team. Indeed. Three wins to close the season when it was already all but done. But on top of that, the the dominance of which Miguel Oliveira won those three races very comfortably. Indeed, he wasn't really challenged in any of those victories. Um, Oliveira just seemed to find another gear towards the end of that season. Um, I don't know how much of that was down to KTM's development, or how, or how much was, was was that was down to just, just Miguel's just clicking at the end of the season, but. Like there was always hype around this kid, like right from the start, right, right from when he was at Leopard and when he made his Moto Two debut, um, you could see that there was there was flashes of brilliance in this kid already. And like his very first race on the KTM, he put it in fourth in, around Qatar. I was on the podium a couple of weeks later in Argentina um, when when Alex Marquez fell. Um, Oliveira was the one that directly benefited, um, but. Like, don't let the just just let the like the last three races of last season fool you. He was very, very good, top to bottom, pretty much all through the season. Challenged four wins on multiple occasions, and before he finally got his first at the end of last year. But yeah, absolutely agreed. Miguel Oliveira, I think, probably should be bookie's favorite. Probably should be title favorite on paper going in, um, given he'll be spearheading KTM's efforts throughout this season um so i don't think it's unfair to assume that but uh again like this class is now so wide open i'd be i wouldn't be speaking of, out of confidence with with that with, with miguel Oliveira. Uh, i think another reason why he it's so tempting to just install him a title favorite as well is his history in moto 3 once he started winning he struggled to stop winning didn't he um he yeah. just had that incredible knack of just succeed of maintaining that level of, of dominance and that level of pace um, and I think he's probably going to do the same thing. He's looked quick all right throughout the winter as Oliveira. When the KTMs have been quick, he has usually been the quickest of them. Um, the one exception being that final Jerez test where he, he was like fourth of the four KTMs. He was 
slower than Lowe, slower than Lacuona, um, who's Lowe's mm-hmm. teammate in the new Swiss Innovative Investors team. That rolls right off the tongue. Um, mm-hmm. His teammate, Brad Binder. Um, but yeah, Oliveira, just such a consummate professional, such a, a great tactician um, in this class. And um, so many times we would see him in Moto3, he would just have that, that extra gear when he needed it at the end of races. He would just wait for the right moment to strike and then strike brilliantly. But what struck me about his Moto2 victories late last season, I mean, his first two were just likes to flag dominant victories. But the one in Valencia, Dre, where he took on the newly crowned champion, Franco Morbidelli, and simply outclassed him. Yeah, just outrode him straight up. There was there was no there was no ifs or buts about it. He he, he completely dominated. I remember. I, I'm going to give one other example. It wasn't a race he won, but Aragon. Well, it was another example of the class of Miguel Oliveira, where like Matteo Pasini and Frankie Morbidelli were out there, basically in a time trial race with each other, um, bear, burning their tires up. And right at the end of that race, we saw. Miguel Oliveira creep into the distance from the background. And if that race was one lap longer, I think he would have had a real chance of winning that race. Um, He just got it a little bit too late at the end there. But as you say, he's a brilliant tactician. He is he is so good. His racecraft is fantastic. And he, he just has this knack of knowing how to win Grand Prix. It is something that... I think many, many other riders just don't have in any of the three classes. He's, he's got a level of nous that just that I think is incredibly clever, and like he is a he is a thinking man's rider. And I think we'll, I think we'll see more examples of that this season. Yeah, he's looking very, very good this season, Miguel Oliveira. I have to say though, when we're talking about title contenders, I include his teammate, and I've got a real feeling, a sneaky feeling for his teammate this year, Brad Binder, um, who perhaps doesn't get the credit he deserves for how good a rookie season he had. He missed three races last season um, through injury, three of the first five races, so he barely got his campaign up and running until around the halfway point. Rode his way to ninth place in Argentina with a broken, was it a broken wrist he had um, that weekend? Yeah. Um, so he was in enormous pain there. And um, without wishing to sort of talk down Oliveira's achievements of last year at all, because it was outstanding, he was often referred to as a, an effective Moto2 rookie, which he was not. Um, because he did have the majority of a season on that Leopard um, Calex the year before, although he was interrupted, like Binder's rookie season was, uh, by injury. Um, but Binder was a rookie last season. He'd never stepped on a Moto2 bike before, um, and yet ended the season with two seconds and a third um, to round off the season. And I think, I mean, Moto2 is arguably, of the three classes, it's arguably the hardest class to step into as a rookie. Um, because oh. the gap between Moto3 and Moto2 bikes is probably bigger than the gap between Moto2 and MotoGP. And certainly now that the Moto2 bike is going to be even closer to MotoGP from next year onwards, it's so mm. hard to make that step up and be quick straight away. So with a year's experience, I'm expecting wins from Binder. It, it would not surprise me. Um, as you say, like Binder got better and better as the season went on. Um, it's... It's going to be hard for him because, again, there are just so many quality names here, and Binder is absolutely one of them. But like, if, if he can, if he can have, a, if he can get up there with his teammate, because Miguel was better than him towards the end of last season and probably throughout the season, even when he was fully healthy in the end. But he did exactly. Miguel did have an extra year behind him, so yeah, you're absolutely right. Binder will always be playing catch up in that regard. 
But um, if, if he can get on the podium more frequently, then there's no reason why he can't inevitably move up to the top class. And like I said, Binder's his, his quality really did shine as well towards the end of last season. He also benefited towards the end of that time when when Miguel Rivera won. Binder was right there with him in, 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 in ballpark range as well. So you know, like I don't think there's that much between them, and I think there's definitely more to come when that's concerned. All in all, there are five KTMs on the Moto2 grid this season. Um, compared to the, just the two that we had last season. So instantly, um, another two teams were tempted um, to pick up those KTM chassis just based on what they saw from them um, last season. I'm sure there would have been more teams looking to pick up KTMs, but I'm pretty sure that that's the maximum that KTM at this stage wanted to supply um, in mm. this class. Um, and I've already mentioned one of the other teams, the snappily titled Swiss Innovative Investors Team. Um, now, this is essentially the team that ran Thomas Luti last season under the Interveten banner, but the Interveten are a Luti sponsor and have been inevitably followed him up into MotoGP um, and a sponsor of his Mark BDS bike. Um, so it's the same team, which we know from history, Drake, is a classy, classy operation. Um, they've taken Thomas Luti to many a Moto2 race victory in the past. Um, the question is now, can they do the same with Sam Lowe's, who's got race-winning pedigree in this class? Um, he won on the speed up in his class and he won on the Calex in his last Moto2 season um, in 2016. Um, and surely, I mean, this is a guy with undoubted potential, undoubted talent, and undoubtedly unfinished business in the MotoGP class. Um, mm. The way he was unceremoniously booted out of there by Aprilia. Um, and surely, with his history, with his pedigree, he's got to be thinking championship, hasn't he? I would say so. I mean, why, why wouldn't he? I mean, um, geez, if you're, you're Sam Lowe's, yeah, okay, you know, much has been made of, of his of his uh, prettier run, but before that, his last year in Moto2, he was winning multiple races and looked like a real threat to Johan Zarco for the title. Um, there's no reason why he can't win the championship. None. Like, the talent has always been there. The speed has always been there. He can win four or five races next season, I think, and, and he should be right in contention for it. The matter is, I think, if Sam can thrash out the inconsistencies, because we all know that Lowe's is, an, is a bit of an overrider, and his riding style is conducive towards crashes, and... Uh, like Sam Lowe's is not going to win this title by playing win it or bin it. Unfortunately, it, look, I think the field is too good for that for him to get away with now. Um, so he's going to have to stop making mistakes like he like he was the last time he was in Moto Two. And if he can, if he can thrash that part of his game away and he can just focus, you know, on on the task at hand and you know channel that r incredible speed that he has. There is no reason why he can't win the title. As a fun fact, Brother Ryan has picked him for the title. So He's certainly one of those six contenders that we've, uh, we've, we've suggested um, in the run-up to the season. And um, it's interesting as well because your, your initial, just looking at that at a glance, your initial sort of feeling is, well, he's coming down from MotoGP, so in that sense, he should get on very well in Moto2 because he's raced in a much tougher class than this. Um, but I think mm. Moto2 is just so competitive now that just look at guys like Yoni Hernandez in previous years. Um, who struggled to do it? It's not as easy as it sounds now, uh, right. because the, the level is too high in Moto Two to just drop down a class and instantly just expect to turn up and win in it. Um, I, I mean, the, the first ever Moto Two champion did exactly that. Tony Elias dropped back out of Moto GP and won the Moto Two title, 
Um, but that was the very first year of this class when it was in its embryonic phase. Um, and if anything, yeah. dropping a class requires just as much adjustment as moving up one because Sam Lowe's is right. pre-season and Yoni Hernandez had this problem last year that he had to lose a ton of weight just to make, make himself competitive on the bike because you obviously have to put up a lot of put on a lot of weight, muscle weight to wrestle those MotoGP bikes around. But then when you drop into Moto2, which has its combined rider and bike weight limit, if you're carrying too much weight, that's going to cost you. Um, so, Absolutely. So Sam has had that problem in pre-season. I think he said in the uh, BT Sport preview that he's lost a couple of kilos um, over the winter just to make himself a little bit lighter on the bike. Um, and mm. give himself the best chance of, of, sort of swinging that Moto2 bike around and also not being punished on the straights by just being too heavy. Um, right. So that might be a challenge for Sam Lowe's early on. Um, to get scoops with it, but he has been quick um, so far in the winter. Not particularly quick in the first practice session we've seen so far um, in Qatar. He was middle of the field, but he was fastest in the final test um, that took place at Jerez, leading the uh, aforementioned KTM 1-2-3. Ahead of his teammate, Ica Lacuona, the Spaniard, um, who was seen populating the back of most Moto2 grids as last season went on, but he was second fastest um, in the mm. final test. And so he might be a real surprise to see. There's another rider who will just really enjoy um, stepping on a KTM. Um, but Lowe's, surely, of that team is the rider expected to carry a title threat. The one other rider um, that we need to mention who's also on a KTM, uh, and there's a story behind this one as well, um, Dominic Egeter, who is riding still for the Keeper Racing Team, um, who initially were going to run two bikes this season, that was then cut to one um, due to lack of sponsorship and lack of funding that enabled them to run Sandro Cortese. He's since gone off to World Supersport and already stepped on a podium over there. Um, but Dre Egeter, another of the riders who's been in this class since its inception in 2010, one of the last riders actually because Luti's now moved on. Um, mm. But on his day, we already know what he's capable of. He won a race on the road last season. He's had it taken away from him, but he's won in the past in this class. He's got a KTM underneath him, but perhaps most importantly for all of us, given the circumstances of what that team's been through, it's just nice to still see the Keeper Racing team on the grid. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's, it's a pleasure to still see them there. Obviously, the the, the, the tragic loss of, of, of their team boss, Stefan Lund, towards the end of last year, last last October, was, was tragic. It, it sent shockwaves through the grid. Um, um, it, it's, it, it's terribly sad to see Kiefer fall on hard times. But uh, I, I'm very glad that Dominique has stuck out with them. He's a fantastic rider, a real entertaining rider to watch because of his riding style. He power slides that bike around corners a lot of the time. He's a, he's a big dirt tracker. Um, and... Again, as you say, multi like a race winner in Moto2 should have been a multiple race winner, really. Again, he had that very unfortunate penalty where his team screwed up and it, co it cost him the win um, at Masano in post-race scrutineering. But um, as said, um, in in incredible stuff. Um, to, to be back on the grid is it's a real feel-good story. It's nice to see them there. And Agata is a guy that can win races for them. Um, I, I wouldn't rule that out either. He's, he's, a, he's a quality rider. And if Kiefer's got the resources and the tools, there's no reason why that can't happen. I think a lot of people, a lot of neutrals in the paddock would love to see Kiefer racing uh, win again. They have won this championship before, let's not forget. They took Stephen <laughs> Rattle to the title now in 2011. So Kiefer know what it takes to win at this level. Um, so let's see if they can uh, turn it on again this season. They have a KTF uh, underneath them. Uh, despite the championship now being a little more open, a little more equal in terms of the chassis manufacturers, it is still um, the bulk of the riders that will be seen on Calyxes. And let's touch on the riders that we expect to be their leading contenders and inevitably we look at Mark VDS and I'm sure we'll see Mark VDS who have won many a Moto2 title um, 
they've lost their world champion from last season, but he's still in Mark BDS, but he's now in their MotoGP team uh, rather than their Moto2 team. Um, which inevitably places a lot of pressure on Alex Marquez. Now, we'll talk about his teammate a little bit later when we talk about the rookies. Um, but Alex Marquez has, I think many people considered him a tight threat at the start of last year. Um, and he mm. ran himself outclassed in the end by Franco Bordelli, and he had injuries later on in the season as well. Um, but I think a lot of people will be looking towards Alex Marquez this season, expecting a lot. You'd think this would have to be the year for Alex. Like, I think he's just about out of excuses now, unfortunately. Fourth year in the class, you know, fourth year with Mark VDS. You've been very patient with him. Um, they've kept giving him one year extensions. You know, seen you know, seen how it plays out. He's now got his teammate in 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 Joanne Mir, which is we'll talk about him more in depth in a bit. But um, again, like that's automatically more pressure given the amount of hype that was got into him from his fantastic Moto Three season last year. Um, it's he's now the leader of that team. Like he now is the team leader. Frankie Morbidelli has moved on to bigger things. Um, <laughs> You've got to be thinking championship again here. Like, if like, anything less, I'm going to have to start having question marks about whether Alex is cut out for the very highest level of the sport. I wonder yeah, I because say, is this the year that will tell us if he's got a MotoGP future or not. I think this could be the one because, like, he's going to be leading that team. He'll get he'll get the bucket load of resources from Mark VDS, who, as Julian Ryder once called them, a MotoGP team in 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 sheep's clothing, basically, because of how much resources and pull that they have between them. They 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 produce winners. That team has always produced winners from Rabat to Morbidelli. Marquez has, has wins under his belt as well. Like they are so good at that. They are excellent at that. And like I, I would like to see a significant step up um, from Alex Marquez. You see, I want him to go from two or three wins to five or six and thinking championship because I'm not sure if he's going to have a top flight future if he is not in the top two or three. And I think he needs to to be up there challenging um, for the best of them. But he's, he's going to have a hard time, man, because Miguel Oliveira is, is, is a class rider. Brad Binder is class. Um, I wouldn't even be surprised if Francisco Bagnaia is in there. Um, you know, like, it's the, the the field is littered. It's like it's like, it's like like walking through a minefield at the moment. And it's going to be really hard for Alex Marquez to, to stand out like this. And like I said, this could be the make or break year for him. I, I, I think that... Like he he has to, he has to be competitive this year. He has to be thinking championship, not not being third or fourth off, off in the background fighting for minor honors. I, he he has to be up the front in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I mean how he must be into his twenties now, Alex Marquez, well into his twenties. And MotoGP teams, <laughs> MotoGP teams sign riders at such an early stage now in their careers. We'll talk about this a bit more in Moto3 because I've got points to make on that when we talk about uh, a Moto3 rider. Um, that you know, uh, even at a young age, you know, you're still learning, you're still improving, but. If you want to consider yourself a MotoGP rider of the future, you know, you've got to impress earlier and earlier now um, for teams to pick you up. And um, yeah, Alex Marquez, April 96. So you'll by the time we get to uh, his first of four home Grand Prix at Jerez this season, uh, he'll be 22 years old, which isn't old. You know, it's still quite... Is that he's it? He's younger yeah. than both of us. <laughs> but he's, you know, in, in Grand Prix <laughs> terms, I mean, Mark Marquez, his older brother, who he's always, unfortunately, compared to, was winning MotoGP titles by that age. Um, Maverick Vinales was in MotoGP by that age. Alex Rins, the same. Um, so, yep. you know, those are the guys that he's been racing against in the lower classes. He's been beating the likes of Rins and Vinales in the lower classes, but they've moved on 
and he's kind of plateaued a bit. Um, so that's the challenge for him this season. He's got to go again. He's got to kick on. And really, if he's not going to win this championship, he has to be contending for it. Um, because, you know, as, we, as you mentioned, his teammate is rapid um, and he's only going to get quicker. And there may well come a point where those two cross over a bit and, and Mia ends up being the faster of the two before long if Marquez sticks around too long uh, in this Moto2 class. But he's likely to be one of the front-running Calix riders in this class. And you mentioned another in Francesco Bagnaia, last season's star rookie. Um, had two second places in a row at the start of the European season at Jerez and then again at Le Mans. Uh, had another podium later on in the season uh, at Misano in the horrendous wet conditions there, although that was a podium he inherited um, when Agata was thrown out of the Grand Prix. Um, but this kid has been very, very quick right through testing. Um, has been towards the top of all three tests. Uh, was second to Marquez at Jerez 1, as we'll call it, because I've been two Jerez tests. Um, and at Jerez 2, uh, he was the fastest Calex in fourth. Um, and crucially, Dre, this guy already knows he has a MotoGP future because he's signed for the Pramac Ducati team in 2019. Mm. And uh, we've seen in the past, haven't we, with Moto2 riders, the likes of Zarco, Rins and Lowe's in previous years, who have found the, uh, the sideshow, the circus about their MotoGP futures for the following year a bit of a distraction. Um, which is effective right. on track. But crucially, Banyaya has no such distraction. He knows where he's going. Indeed. I think that might work both ways, though. I'm not necessarily going to think that that will make it better for, for Peko um, going into the season. Like, Peko might easily phone in the year, given that he knows he's, he'll be in MotoGP next year. We saw it sort of have a negative effect on Jonas Volga, who started you know two seasons ago in, in, in his last Moto2 season. He started the year very strong, found out at Le Mans that he was going to be part of Tech 3 for the following season, and he never really got back to the heights he was at the start of the year when he was challenging for wins and, you know, looked really, really fast. He never quite got back to that level again um, after he found out that he was going to be in MotoGP. I'm not sure if that'll work on Peko, because I think Peko will want to prove himself there, and he, again, I, I don't think he's phoned it in. He's been very, very fast in testing, um, and he's looked like he belongs in the in, in the upper echelon of Moto2 again. So I'm not I'm not sure I mean, it'll, it'll, it'll go against him on that one either, but um, like having your future confirmed is not necessarily a dead cert, um, but yeah, I, I think Manyar is going to be one to watch for sure. I think he he's, he's an outside threat for the title. He's very very fast indeed. Um, he's got he's got a good home underneath him. I think it'll be Sky Sky Team's three R forty six's lead guy, even though he'll be leaving that camp for now at least. Um, yeah, next year to go to to go to um, Pramac, but. Uh, I, I think he could win a race or two next season. It wouldn't be surprised. I think he could be in the top five for the championship. It would not surprise me. He's very, very fast indeed. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me either. He's in the top five of the championship last season. <laughs> so, that's mm. a rookie. I, mean, I, I think he's a real title threat. I really do. I think there's, I mean, he's not won a Grand Prix in this class yet, but I think it's a matter of time before he does it. Um, he was by far the fastest rookie last season until Binder um, became fully fit and the KTM really came on song. And then it was a little bit more even between the two. Um, you know, Binder was third, just ahead of Banyaya at the final race of the season, where Banyaya finished in fourth. Um, but mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I'm I'm very very high on this kid, and a lot of people in the paddock car because there was a large queue of people, um, of team bosses trying to sign Banyaya um, for next season. There was very interesting detail that was brought forward um, yesterday. It's in uh, David Emmett's uh, Thursday roundup on the Motor Matters website. Do check it out if you get the chance. Um, where he referenced the fact that. 
the Tech 3 Yamaha split first came to light when Yamaha went to have a Poncheral, or Poncheral um, essentially wanted Banyaya. Um, yeah, Yamaha wanted Banyaya and wanted to place him in the Tech 3 team um, for 2019. And, and Poncheral essentially turned out and said, well, I'm not going to be running our bikes next year, guys. So that's really your problem. Um, but um, right. yeah, Yamaha wanted Banyaya in Tech 3 for next season, but obviously for the obvious reasons, Tech 3 are going to be running their yeah, bikes at all. They're going to be running KTMs. That didn't come to pass, and you went to Primark Ducati instead. Um, but yeah, but there, are, there are a number of MotoGP teams who are hugely impressed by this kid. Right from when he, They're gosh yeah, Right scared. from when he was winning Moto3 races on a Mahindra, for goodness sake. Um, that yeah. tells you everything about how talented this kid is. Um, and yeah, he... From a rider who was booted out of the Sky VR46 team when they brought in Andrea Migno um, a couple of years ago to now being one of the most coveted riders in the paddock and a MotoGP rider of the future with Sky VR46 this season. And yeah, as I say, I think he's going to be one of the title favourites and he's going to win uh, several Grand Prix this season. Uh, outside of him, um, several other Calix riders to keep an eye on. Um, Matteo Pacini, who was sixth in the championship last season, so he is third of the riders still around from last year. Um, an incredible story last year for Pacini to um, rebound after um, some tough years, both in MotoGP and in Moto2, um, where he was kind of in the wilderness for a few years. Just an incredible story for him to win again last season. He was almost the pole specialist, wasn't he, last year as well? He had a number of pole positions last year. Um, he was quick as well in testing so far this winter. There's every reason to suggest that he's going to be one of those perennial race-winning threats again this year. Yeah, I definitely think that could be the case. Messini's the wily veteran of the, of the field now. Um, I think he had four poles in a row. To, yeah, the new gatekeeper. Um, yeah, I think he had four poles in a row to close out the end um, towards, towards the end of the last season. He, he became a bit of a one-lap specialist. Um, but showed his class on multiple occasions. Just, I mean, just had a few silly mistakes in races that would have cost him big positions like he had in Bruno when he was when he was leading that race and crashed and um you know just coming up a little bit short on a, on a few occasions but overall like the guy is, 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 is he's found a career redemption in the last couple of years that I've not seen out of a guy who's 30 plus for quite some time um in any form of motorcycle racing he's, he's He's 32. He's, uh, he's 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 not he's not young anymore. He's a very experienced veteran of, of of Grand Prix motorcycle racing in general. But like, I think he could be a dark horse runner for the championship. He's, he's got that experience. He's he's got speed in droves, especially over qualifying. He'll be he'll be a guy that I think could easily have five or six pole positions if he can convert a couple more of those into wins, as opposed to you know seconds, thirds, and the occasional DNF. Then I don't think there's any reason why he couldn't be right up the thick end of the championship again. I, I think the guy's an exceptional rider. Um, and yeah, just, just, I, I, I love the fact it's, it's kind of an anomaly for Moto2 that a guy that is, a guy that's in is coming towards his mid thirties is still competitive in a field, which, you know, is often known for producing and pumping out young talent. A few other teams that I want to touch on before we move on to the rookies, so we'll rattle through them in rapid fire. Uh, first of all, if we're looking at dark horses this season, first of the teams I would look to is the Dynavolt team. Um, who, have, who have switched from Suter back to Calix for this season, clearly seeing the error of their ways um, of last season. Um, they've got Marcel Schrotter in their team that they ran last season, and he's been very quick this morning in Qatar as well, um, looking very good. And Xavi Vieje is his teammate. They've signed him from Tech 3. 
Um, perhaps the most irritated rider in the paddock, because as uh, the BT Sport commentators rightly pointed out this morning, you got to think if he just decided to stay with Tech 3 for another year, he would have been promoted up into that MotoGP spot um, once Jonas once right. Holger um, um, put, put in a signal for the year. Um, as it is, it's Hafiz Siren who's, uh, who's got that gig, but uh, VRK, um undoubtedly a talent in his class, was doing the Lord's work on that Tech 3 Mistral over the last couple of years. Um, so now he's on mm -hmm. the point, he could be a real fine. Um, the other team that I was really looking to keep an eye on as well is the Pons team. A Pons team who, in the past, were always considered the go-to team for the brightest young talents, particularly if they were Spanish. Um, in this past, Vinales rode for them, Rins rode for them, Paul Espargo won the title with them. Um, they've got um, one young Italian and one much older Spaniard for this season. Lorenzo Baldassari, who was a Grand Prix winner in this class, um, and was fastest of all in pre first practice in Qatar and this weekend. Um, and his teammate, another rider like Sam Lowe's, dropping down from MotoGP. Hector Barbara, mm. um, who was the as good as anyone on an independent motorcycle just a year and a half ago, had a disaster right. 2017. And uh, he is a It's a sign, Dre, of how long ago that was that he's never actually ridden in Moto2 before. Last time Barbara was in the Intermediate Class, it was 250cc racing. Yeah, he was he was one of those guys. I think he debuted in the top flight in 2011, and he's, he's not really looked back since. He was never he was he was never a Moto2 rider. He's he missed that generation entirely um, and, and, until now. So yeah, you're absolutely right. He's been a, a veteran of the top game over 220 Grand Prix now. Hector Barbera. He's been around forever now, donkey's years. Um, but yeah, this, this is actually his, his Moto2 debut. As weird as it is to say for a guy in his early 30s. Um, so I'm not but, sure yeah. what use that experience is going to be to him. No, because it, like it's all for noise. It's a, it's a brand new motorcycle to him. He's never ridden a Moto Two bike in this in this guise before. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a learning curve for him as much as any, and he's he's going to be somehow inexperienced compared to many of the riders in said class, which is bound to be interesting. Keep half an eye on Lorenzo Baldassari, mind you, though fastest in free practice one this morning by almost three tenths of a second was very very fast indeed. Um, so keep half an eye on him on on race day. Um, super quick. And um, again, again, a guy that's won a Grand Prix in the class before um, often did very, very good work with a forward team that almost didn't want to be there half the time. Um, and still Lorenzo pulled out good results on a, on a, on a semi-consistent basis. So um, put him in the outside chance to, to, to upset the Apple cars discussion. Mm, yeah, uh, as I mentioned, six different manufacturers. Suter have just two bikes on the grid. Um, with the forward team, they have uh, Stefano Manzi, um, former SkyBL46 rider, and Eric Granado, who is a Brazilian, who you might have heard of before. He ran Moto3 a couple of years ago. He is the reigning European Moto2 champion. Um, so he has pedigree on this uh, bike. It's essentially the Spanish championship, but it is branded the European championship, um, which Granado won. Uh, we also have the Tech 3 Mistrials that I mentioned before. Um, they have retained Remy Gardner and brought in a rookie, who we'll tell you about in a moment, Bob Benchneider. Um, but the uh, the wild cards, along with NTS, the new boys, who we can expect very little from, I think, um, with two relatively inexperienced riders in Odendahl and Joe Roberts. I think the wild cards are Speed Up, who have won Grand Prix before, let's not forget. They're, that bike, yes. that bike on its day, can win in this class. Um, but what on earth are we expecting from their two riders? Two riders who I think we could class as the most unpredictable in the class. Um, Fabio Quattararo, who 
was touted as the new Mark Marquez a few years ago and still might be. I mean, he's, he's moved up to Moto2 at a very early age. He's still only 18. Um, yeah. And, you know, he moved up to Moto2 earlier than perhaps many thought he would just because he became too tall for the Moto3 bike. Um, and right. actually, I think, had a better rookie season last year than many give him credit for. Um, because he doesn't stack up too well against the likes of Banyaya and Binder. But outside of those two, he was the best of the other rookies. He beat Navarro, he beat Manzi, he beat Powie, he beat Locatelli. Um, and he, mm. he ended the season with two top eight finishes. He was also sick that Mizano in the horrendous conditions there. He had some mm. solid results last season to quarter hours. So he might get on well this year. But his teammate is the former Moto3 world champion, Danny Kemp, um, who uh, David Emmett was very, very complimentary of, saying that he seems like a different man this season, a man who's really focused again, who's got the bit between his teeth again, and is ready to show what he's all about in Moto2 after really soiling his own reputation uh, with the way he, first of all, struggled at Leopard in the Moto2 class, having won with them in Moto3, and also split from the Kiefer team last season after a couple of rounds of the season. This is a key, key season in the career of Danny Kent. It's critical, especially with the, with the amount of, of good faith that um, I think like, this could be Danny Kent's last chance. He's, he's, he's floated from class to class, Moto 2 to Moto 3. He did, he did himself no favours um, in, um, in, in, in the situation he had with Kiefer, where he, he basically quit the team um, early on. And it was basically just being a wild card floating from bike to bike and as you say, like David Emmett was gushing about him, basically how he seems like a different man. He seems motivated. Um, he seems hungry to succeed at the highest level again. He, he really wants to you know, get the bit between his teeth and get out there and ride it this year. Um, for his sake, I hope he's right. I yeah, really I do. I don't think the question has ever been, is Danny Kane quick enough or talented enough? It's more been his, his application to the job. Right, exactly. It's, it seems it's always seemed like Kent doesn't quite know what he's doing, um, and that he doesn't know how to handle the media, doesn't know how to handle you know everything else that comes with being a motorcycle rider, the politics of it, you know, the the uh, the, the professionalism that comes with being a bike rider. And that's been the issue with Kent, not so much his talent. The talent's always been there, um, but I'm not sure like what what, he, what he's going to have to do here to make this work. Um, He's got a, he's got a, another very hungry, very young, very talented teammate in Fabio Quattararo, who, again, as you say, I think was uh, was better as a rookie than I think many gave him credit for. Um, speed up, I'm not sure how good they're going to be in the context of Moto2 now, given how many KTMs are at the top flight as well. That that could lock out, you know, many top six to eight finishes positions. That could be tricky for Kent and Quattararo to really fit in there. But as I say, this is a massive year for Danny Kent. If, he, if this year doesn't work out with speed up, with Quattararo as his teammate, then who knows where Kent will go from here. It, it could be tricky. Yeah, because the, the difficulty when looking at this team, because they're the only team running speed up bikes, because they are the only uh, speed up team, is what's the benchmark with this team? You know, what, what are we expecting from them? How good is that bike? Because there are no other bikes uh, with other teams to measure them against. Um, you know, at least if we see a team doing well on a Calyx, you know you know, how good that bike is, and you know that the team getting the best out of it is clearly doing the best job. But with speed up, we don't quite know. And we, we often heard Sam Lowe as being critical of his own team um, when when he was running with the speed up. He, you know, had his days where he was he was a race-winning contender on it, and he did win on it um, at the Circuit of the Americas. Um, but there are also days where the team were making mistakes and Sam Lowe's was buried in the midfield. Um, so what, we're, what quite what we can expect from Kenton Quattararo is anyone's guess. And I think Kent, at the very minimum, has to beat Quattararo this season to uh, have any kind of future. Because if Quattararo was a 
second year as a sophomore rider in Moto2, still in his teenage years, beats Kent this year. Um, I think Quartararo's career may well go upwards and Kent's may well go down. Um, and he might have to try, try and find a new paddock to go and racing. So, uh-huh. a huge year for the 2015 uh, Moto3 champion. Um, but what of the 2017 Moto3 champion? Let's talk about the rookies and we'll start with the Moto3 champion, Joan Mir, um, who is another rider that has had a lot of teams, both in MotoGP and Moto2, keeping a very close eye on him to try and sign him in the future. Mark Vidiesa, the team that have signed him, um, which perhaps puts them in pole position to give him a MotoGP contract in 2019. And there's no questioning this guy's hunger, Dre, or this guy's motivation, because he's already talking about putting himself in a position. He wants to be in MotoGP next year. Yeah, like, he's excited, he's hungry for it, he he, he thinks he's top-class quality, um so right. why not yeah so, you know it's like you know why not why not have that mentality going forward you've got to sell yourself you got to, if you've got to believe that you're good enough to be there so why not have that, that way of thinking so yeah I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do and i'm and i'm excited to see if he can follow through on on his on his level of confidence which seems to be very high at the moment yeah and you know he's had a difficult preseason. it's probably fair to say he's had an injury injured his shoulder in a, in a training accident just don't tell Bex on that um, which forced him to miss the third preseason test at Jerez, um, the second of the two Jerez tests. He ran in the first one and he ran at Valencia back in February, but he's a little bit down on preseason mileage. Um, but he's with the perfect team, isn't he, Dre? With Mark VDS. We know what they're all about. We've already spoken about their pedigree in this class. Um, and, I mean, what can we expect from Joan Mir, even for the most dominant of Moto3 champions we have ever seen? Um, you know, he's set the new record for points totals. He won 10 races in that class last season. So perhaps there is no better rookie um, on paper going into the season than we've ever seen in Moto2. But as I mentioned earlier on, I just think the gap between Moto3 and Moto2 is too big a bridge to climb for any Moto3 rookie to expect to come into this class and win straight away. Yeah, it's very, very hard. I think, I mean, in recent times, I think the only guy that has really done that was Maverick Vinales. And we all know that he was exceptionally talented. And even he didn't uh, win the title. He just won races. Yeah, he, he won multiple races, but it was still a, a long way back from where Tito Rabat was when he won the championship. And that when Rabat was in year four, which says it all. At the time, really, that Rabat had a lot more experience, like 60-plus races more experience by that point in time. Um I think you're right. I think it is a little bit too much of an ask to really, you know, suggest that um, that that a man can win the title as a rookie. Um, I think he will win races by the end of the year, though. I, I I'd say there's definitely a chance of that. I mean, again, he's with Mark VDS. No team will give him a better platform to, for for immediate success than that. He's got a great yardstick in Alex Marquez in front of him. He's going to be very motivated to try and beat. He wants to get to the top class. No no doubt about it. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's, there's a lot on the table there for me and the potential is limitless with, with Joanne Mir. Like there's no reason why you can't, you know, challenge for podiums right out of the box like Maverick did. Um, so I, I want to see what he can do and I'm, I'm, ex- I'm excited to see it. Mm, yeah. I'm also excited to see what the Moto3 runner up from last season can do. Romano Fanati's moved up as well. He's staying with the same team, essentially the Marinelli snipers team. Um, but they've now split their efforts between Moto3 and Moto2. So rather having two Moto3 riders, they've now got one in Moto2 and one in Moto3. Um, we'll tell you who their Moto3 rider is in a little bit. Um, but Fanati's riding for them in Moto2, and no one has ever questioned the talent of Romano Fanati. They've always questioned the attitude. 
Um, and last season, the tactics of Fanati, because he would often get beaten in head-to-heads by Joan Mir. Um, I think no one finished second more often than Fanati last season. So often he would get beaten up in those manic group fights of Moto3, which led me to be of the opinion for several years that that kid just needed to get out of Moto3 and jump on a Moto2 bike, where in theory, the class is little more sedate, and I'll allow you just to get on and ride the bike um, mm. and show how quick you are. The early impressions are, Dre, that Fanati is very quick. He's arguably, well, not arguably, he has been the fastest rookie through winter testing, and he was third fastest this morning in pre-practice. Yes, Fanati is fast, right out of the box. Um, like Again, all that Moto3 experience, it looks like it has counted for something. He's, he's adapted to these Moto2 bikes very quickly indeed. Talent is talent. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's 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 unarguable. He is super fast, and yeah, I don't think there's any reason to suggest why he can't get on the podium immediately. He could get on the podium this weekend. He he's looked super fast in Qatar. Moto three debut there. Indeed, um, you know he, he's very very quick indeed. He seems to be a natural fit for these bigger bikes. Um, this was a long time coming for Fanati, and I think you're absolutely right. I think Moto three was actually suppressing. Yeah, he was um, doing himself more damage just by staying there longer. Yeah, I think I know. I know he was desperate to win that Moto Three title that eluded him for so many years, but but it was suppressing his talent. Like it got to a point where he was just getting beaten up by the next young freak that was coming through the category, like Joanne Mir did, who won ten races last season. Um, so I, I think this is a benefit for, for Fanati, a bigger bike, a more aggressive bike, uh, more more for his riding style. The class being a bit more sedate means he probably will be punched in the nose quite so many times. I, on paper, I think this is a much better fit for him in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I mean, I think he rehabilitated his career quite well in the end last year, given how his 2016 campaign ended with the uh, acrimonious split from VR46 uh, mid-season when he fell out unceremoniously with the team. Um, so in, in many ways, he had to have another year in Moto3 just to rehabilitate himself in the paddock and just to convince teams that he was worth um, gambling on again. And the team that he joined, the Marinelli team, clearly trust him and clearly back him. And clearly prepared to indulge him. It's one of those. If you think of the some of the prima donna footballers, you get no more famous than say the uh, the Portuguese guy who's dominating at Real Madrid. Um, mm. When when you're that good, teams will accept the uh, the sort of prima donna attitude and the uh, the difficulties of dealing with you. Um, and that's the position that Fonati is going to try and put himself in. You know, if you're a bit of a pain to deal with, you've got to make yourself so good that they're just going to have to tolerate you. Um, and Fanati might well. I, no one, as I say, has ever questioned how talented Fanati is. Um, it's just mm-hmm. a case of can he put it all together. Um, so let's see if he can do that this season. Um, as a Moto2 rookie, it's a fascinating battle this season for Rookie of the Year in Moto2. It's likely to be between uh, Mir and Fanati. Um, but we do have a couple of other rookies as well. Joe Roberts, who we've mentioned, the American, um, who isn't a least making his debut in Moto2. He did make his debut midway through last season and finish in the top 10 in that six-lap wet race at Bruno. Um, but he is a rookie in as much as this is his first full season as a regular rider in the class. Um, he's on the NTS with the RW team. Um, so keep an eye on him. Um, we also have Jules Danilo, Fanati's teammate of last season, who's joined the stop-and-go team alongside Isaac Vinales. And Bo Benchneider, who's with Tech3 alongside Remy Gardner, another rider like Quartararo, who's just way too tall for Moto3s now. Um, and has, he's an he is massive, so it was uh, just as well, I think, for him that he's out of Moto3 and into Moto2, where it should suit him um, a lot better. Um, very open class. I think we both have the same answer, but we'll do it anyway. Dre, Uji Moto2 champion. 
Miguel Oliveira. I can't. I, I. I. I just don't see enough in anyone else that I think will beat Miguel over a season. I think Miguel is the complete package. I think one way or another he'll be in MotoGP in 2019, and I think I think he's the class of the field that's left over after the, the elite class basically got gutted last year. Um, for me, I'm going with, with with Miguel Oliveira for the title. Yeah, for me, uh, agreement for me, uh, Oliveira. I've, I think I had Oliveira as my title pick for this season, right from um, Philip Island last year. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, that's about right. Uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, we're agreed on that. We're both picking Oliveira for the Moto Two World Title in a moment. After this brief musical break, we'll preview the Moto Three season. How on earth do we pick the bones out of this lot? on Bike Live and let's preview Moto3 the magnus and mayhem that is uh, Moto3 uh, a class that always delivers excitement always delivers electrifying racing uh, whatever the rider lineup that we have um, in front of us and this season expected to be no um, to be no exception to that Joan Mir last year's champion uh, winning in the end by a dominant margin of 63 points um, from uh, by more than that, actually by 93 points from Romano Fanati, having won 10 out of a possible 18 races. Um, yeah, I really should have zoomed in on that, shouldn't I? Uh, Fanati second in the end from Aaron Canet, who is the highest ranked rider from last season still around. Jorge Martin finally taking his first win of his career, having been a pole hound for most of last year. Uh, in fourth, ahead of his Grassini teammate Fabio Di Gian Antonio, and here Bastianini sixth overall, ahead of John McPhee. Those seven riders all have something in common. They were all on Hondas. Uh, Marcos Ramirez was the best of the KTM riders in eighth, ahead of Andrea Migno and Philippe Ertl, who rounded out the top ten. Um, now, much like Moto2, um, this class has kind of been gutted from last year. The top two in the championship have both moved up, um, and other riders further down the order, like Danilo and Ben Schneider, um, have also moved into the Moto2 class. Um, we've also got a number of rookies. It's always an exciting feature of Moto3 to see which rookies out of Spanish Championship and Red Bull rookies and the likes move up into this class. Um, and we'll tell you about them in a moment. Um, but the top two moving out, Dre, uh, of Moto3 into Moto2, which again leaves this class a little bit wide open. And inevitably, we'll look towards the riders who were doing well last season who perhaps will benefit from the extra year's experience and the fact that their main contenders from last season are no longer in their way. Aaron Canet is the leading one of those. Um, he, along with Martin and Bastianini, appear to be the three championship front runners. Would you go along with that? I, I think that's about right. I, I, I'm still bemused why Canet didn't move up when he had the chance. I, I don't know if he's one of those guys that is insistent on trying to win a world title before moving up. Um, uh, I, I, so, you know, but hey, he, he probably walks into this season as, as, as the favourite. Um, Canet was very fast, had me you know, again, was able to win last year. Um, very, very quick across the board. Like Jorge Martin was Mr. Qualifying for a good while. Um, 
and on top of that, obviously broke the glass ceiling, got it, got that, got that first win, completely dominant out there in in, in Valencia as well, taking advantage of of, of Mears, um, you know, bad start, so shall we say, uh, on that one. Bastianini's bit is actually now more of a veteran figure in this class now. Um, has been in has been in the top tier now for quite some time. Um, <laughs> Those three seem to me like the obvious three that should be a bit of a cut above everybody else. That, like that's the impression that I get. Um, I think everybody else will be chasing those three, um, barring any any major shock. So I think you're right. I think those are the three guys that are probably going to be the main three contenders for the title. But Moto three never quite goes that simply, does it? No, it's always unpredictable. <laughs> Kenneth is still only 18, by the way, so he's still quite young. Um, in that respect, his two main title rivals that we're expecting for this season, Bastianini and Martin, are both 20 years old. Um, so I have a couple of years on Canet. Um, I mean, the race that stood out to many of us last season, which kind of summed up Aaron Canet in a nutshell, was the Grand Prix of the Americas um, last year, mm. where it was really striking. And we were all taken aback by just how dominant he was um, on pure mm. pace. He was on pole by nearly a second. He was that far ahead of the field in pretty much every practice session and then had a number done on him by Romano Fanati in the Grand Prix itself. Um, and even, <laughs> even towards the yeah. end of last season, he still seemed like the kind of guy that was as fast as anybody on his day, but still made critical errors. Um, the kind of errors that you'd be expecting to see shaken out of him by year two um, as a Moto3 rider. Yeah. Um, I mean, he was uh, as lead recent as Silverstone, where he won his, what was his third and final Grand Prix of the season last year. Um, mm. He was... On a par with Fanati for a second in the championship, I think he was second in the championship, ahead of Fanati, and the nearest challenger to Mia, ended the season with a crash in the wet of Mizano, so we can maybe forgive him that. Um, a couple of fifths in Aragon and Japan, another crash in Australia, um, and then eighth and ninth in Malaysia and Valencia to round off the year. It was very strange how his season kind of tailed off late last year, and still seems to be searching for that consistency that you need to win a championship. Yeah, I think the, I think that's the key term for me was that he, he was lacking racecraft. I think was was the issue there. I know obviously part of that is just being a rookie. Naturally, you're going to find that difficult. Um, again, as you said, I think Kota was a perfect example of that. It was so fast that weekend, as 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 brilliant a dominant weekend on pace than I've ever seen in all three classes. Like he was legitimately seven temps quicker than anyone, and, I, and I've never seen that before in any class where one rider is that much quicker than. And everybody else but then as you as we both teased on the bike live that weekend we feared what if Fanati yeah. punches him Feels like a job <laughs> and i was like yep we were absolutely on the money Fanati ended up punching him in the nose and can got caught up in a fight and he couldn't break free and and he didn't he, fell he, off. he if he fell off he, he he blew what could have been an easy victory um what should have really been an easy victory for him on paper but um, it just didn't work out for him. He didn't have that Danny Kent ability like a couple of years ago to just break off from the pack and then just do his own race, basically. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. I think his season did tail off towards the end of last year. He was much stronger in the first half of the season. And he never really picked it up again in the second half of the year, unfortunately. It just didn't quite seem to come together for him on that one. Um Maybe he lost a bit of motivation. I don't know. Maybe he, re he realized the title was lost by then and probably just, you know, maybe maybe just lost a bit of motivation and wasn't riding Roger wasn't riding all that hard towards the end of the year. Could be wrong. Um, I'm speculating there. But 
I, I think Canet will be much more motivated this time around, especially knowing that Mir's not in the class anymore. He'll want to join him in Moto2, I'm sure, next year. So I, I eagerly look forward to seeing what Canet can do now with you know his head screwed on a little bit tighter, a little bit more experience. Hopefully, year two will be the one where he shakes off a lot of these cobwebs that are holding him back because his pace is incredible when it wants to be. Mm, it is. He's, he's an incredible talent. I mean, his victory in Hereth uh, last year... Um, with that double overtake into the final corner was sensational. Um, and that's what Aaron Canet can do. Um, you know, he came up in the same group, the same class as Joan Mir um, and Nicola Bulliger, who I, I want to talk about in a little bit, who um, had an even worse season last year than Canet did by a long way. Um, so, um, yeah, Canet undoubtedly a real talent, a real potential MotoGP rider of the future. And as I say, he's still only 18, so he's got plenty of years yet. Um, to deliver so perhaps another year in Moto3 won't do him too much harm um, he's much earlier in his career than Fanati was last year um, but he probably has to win the championship he will be expected um, to win the championship this season um, let's talk about his main contenders then for the championship and Jorge Martin has probably been the standout rider of winter testing fastest in two of the three official preseason tests um, on that Grassini Honda um, a rider who we were all desperate to see win a race last year having had, uh, let me count them up, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight podiums before his win, um, which would obviously then be his ninth podium of the year in total in Valencia last year. Um, so many pole positions, clearly the fastest rider in this class during over one lap. And you just yeah. kind of wonder, he just struggled, didn't he? From He was able to put one fast lap together, he just struggled to string together 20 of them. He finally did it in Valencia, and you can't help but feeling, in much in kind of Oliveira fashion, now he's got that first win, he could well reel off a load of them this year. Yeah, he could easily just bounce four or five off next year, and it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. Martin is exceptionally fast. He was the king of qualifying last year, had incredible raw pace. Um, that 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 season was so fast. Um, didn't wasn't quite able to convert it into victories. There was always someone that was a little bit better than him until until that final race in Valencia, where he got that win, broke free, and you know was 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 just decimated, decimated the field. Joanne Mir was the only guy in the same ballpark that weekend. He had to pass about 20 other bikes that day. Um, but yeah, Martin was, again, he showed that he had the ability to win all the way through. It just didn't quite come together for him until it finally came through for him. And um, I was delighted for him. Like, the pace is certainly there. Um, I, I, I think I think he's going to be very, very fast indeed. Um, I, I think we'll see more of the same. I think we'll see him qualify well. Will he be able to convert said victories? I think he'll do a better job on that this, this time, man. I think he'll be a year wiser, a year smarter. I think he'll find ways around it. I really do. So I, I look forward to, to Martin. Again, I think he'll be starting a lot of races on the front row. And that's half the battle in Moto3 is that is that initial splurge. You don't want to lose positions off the start line and make your life that much more difficult. So, yeah, I think Martin will be right up there. Yeah, he's going to be a real contender. And Grassini, I think, are looking very, very strong this season. They're one of the very few teams in the Moto3 class who actually named an unchanged rider lineup um, from last season. Mm. They've retained both um, Jorge Martin and Fabio Di Gian Antonio, who's kind of finds himself straight in the position that Martin was last year, in that he's had many a podium now. Um, two seasons in the Moto3 class. He's finished both of them in the top six of the championship. Um, so there's no question how good this kid is. But Absolutely. so often last year, he would come very, very close to winning a Grand Prix and just miss out. Mugello and Aragon, where he was a photo finish away from winning the Grand Prix. Um, mm. and didn't quite manage it. Um, you've got to think this will be the year that he finally breaks through, wouldn't you? 
I'd say so. I mean, I think so. I mean, like th- there will be no greater chance for him to do so than this year, for sure. Like, I mean, it's, it's never quite come together um, for him on, um, on on these occasions. And it's it's he's been knocking on the door for so, so long. And uh, I, it, it's one of those, it's got to be the year sort of year. Because if not, then I don't know what more he can do, to be honest with you. But... Again, we'll have to wait and see. Again, he's a bit of the veteran of of, 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 of that main title picture. He's been a staple in Moto3 now for quite some time. Um, again, great great pace, good race craft. He's able to to win on occasion. It's going to be tricky. We'll have to wait and see. But um, there's there's a, there's a lot on the plate there for him potentially mm-hmm. to get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, go. Gian Antonio, teammate to Martin um, Grassini. He's mm-hmm. not the third if he did, um, fight for the title this year. The other one is also an Italian, though, in Enea Bastianini, who frustrates me no end, um, largely because, yet again, he's changed teams. Um, he seems to be a rider who, without telling you too critical, rather than maybe looking inwards at how to improve, he keeps trying to lurch from what he considers the best team to the best team. Um, 2015, we saw him finish, well, nearly finish title winner-up. He ended up losing that title winner-up spot to Oliveira. Uh, later in the season, uh, when he was a Grassini rider, the team that Bash- the team that uh, Dejan Antonio Martina at now and clearly is a good team. Um, he then departed them to go to Estrella Galicia, which was the team that he'd always wanted to join. Um, he finally joined them last year, um, and now he's joined last year's title winners, Leopard. Um, and yeah. don't get me wrong, so far he looks very happy with that team, but surely. I mean, if if a Dejan Antonio it say this must be the year, surely that applies to Bastianini too. Absolutely, I think this is the make or break year for Bastianini. I think that you know, again, another guy where it's just not worked out for him. Really, he's hopped from top team to top team, and, he, and none of them has been able to really get the full potential out of him. Yeah, which maybe makes you think it was the rider that was the problem. Yeah, maybe, again, like if you've been to this many top tier teams and you've not been able to put together a consistent title challenge maybe it's the rider that's the problem rather than the teams that have not been able to channel his ability properly. Um, and yeah, he's with Leopard now. Again, proven track record, proven top-tier pedigree. Anything less than title, I think, is going to be disappointing for Bastianini. Mm, yeah, and he needs to um, start his season in Qatar rather than start to get around mid-season, doesn't he? I mean, the last two, three years, he's started the season poorly and then suddenly, towards the end of the season, he's looked like a million bucks um, when it was all too late. And of course, in 2015, when he was trying to take on Denny Kemp for the world title he did it the other way around he started very well and then just fell off a cliff um, and just did not perform for the second half of the season yet to really see an Bastini put a full campaign together um, so that's the target for him this season started last year with a 16th in Qatar and 27th in Argentina mm. um, didn't get on the podium until that um, shortened race at Silverstone that was red flagged a lap from home and only had three podiums over the entire campaign um, which is frankly not good enough. He still finished the year in sixth overall, but we're expecting a title challenge from Bastianini this year. Um, so pressure's on him um, to deliver with Leopard Racing, who of course have signed him to replace the outgoing champion, uh, Joan Mir. Um, those three riders are all on Hondas. They're expecting perhaps Honda riders to dominate again. Uh, although there will be more KTMs on the grid this season because Mahindra have pulled out at the end of last season. They're focusing all their efforts, understandably, uh, in Formula E. Um, so there's no more Mahindras or Peugeots on the Moto3 grid. It is entirely Hondas and KTMs, which 
Um, might sound like a bit of a negative to only have two constructors in the field, but I think it's probably in the wrong run going to be a good thing for the class because we're going to have more riders on competitive machines um, this season, which might well be uh, a good thing. Um, but outside of those three for the championship, who else are we looking at, Dre, that potentially could take the fight to these guys? I mean, I'm looking at other Honda riders who perhaps could step up this season. Uh, Nicolo Antonelli, who's a, a known quantity um, and, you know, clearly just buckled under the pressure of riding for the, in theory, strongest team in the paddock last year in Red yeah. KTM IO. He's now on a Honda with the uh, SICK 58 team, the Simoncelli 58 team. Um, is he a, a potential dark horse for the season? Is there anyone else outside of those three that you can legitimately see taking the fight to these three for the title this year? Uh, I think he got the wrong SICK bike. I, I'd like to look at Tutsi Suzuki. I think that... Um... He's a guy that I think that could that could be a real upset maker. Um, had had some great performances last year. I, I um I would look down the list as well. I think are we ever gonna get the best again at Nikola Bulaga? Mm. Because because I look at him as like and his rookie year he was so good. He was the title favorite in Moto. I, I picked him last year. year. Yeah, he was the bookie's favorite for the Moto Three title last year. Um, on paper going in, and and he he was woeful last year by his standards. Um, the standards he had set himself the previous year, his rookie year was fantastic. His second season, he was nowhere. Um, mm. There's a guy that's got the potential to to get in the mix. And yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, yeah, let's talk about Bullinger because we'll, we'll come on to him now. So we're going to come on to him in a second when we talk about the KTM riders. But we'll we'll do that now. I think Bullinger, without trying to give him too many excuses, um, I think he was the big victim last season of how poor the KTM's were. Um, yes. In 2017, we were expecting. I think we were all stunned when we turned up for the opening round in Qatar, and we were looking, "Where are the KTM's? They're all being, you know, they're getting absolutely paggered by Hondas." Um, and the the fastest or the first KTM in the championship last season was seventh place in the overall championship standings, which just shows you how dominant the Hondas were. Um, and I think Bullock has suffered from that. Um, he is still only 18, let's not forget. He's, he moved into the class, obviously, as the junior world champion at 16. Um, so his second season just, frankly, went all wrong last year. Um, mm. And I, I was going to talk about this earlier when I mentioned Fanati, um, or when I mentioned another rider in Moto2, how um, it was Marquez I was talking about, where I talked about how teams now in MotoGP are signing riders at a younger and younger age, or they are identifying yes. riders at a younger age, um, as that is the rider we want to have in our MotoGP team in X years from now, um, so you know it it, it 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 would be unfair to talk about a rider at 18 years old and say this is a make or break season. Um, but he was being touted for that kind of future, for that kind of Marquez, uh, Vinales, Rins kind of ascent up the classes, um, based on what he achieved in Junior World Championship, based on how well he went as a rookie, um, and the fact that he's part of the Sky DR46 stable. So you know that's one stable that can. Um, ease your path up to MotoGP if you're good enough um, and it just didn't happen for him and he's in a good team with Sky VR46 and I think it, the case for him is if the KTM's good enough he'll get the most out of it um, he still had those days last year where he was quick I mean he had pole positions late last year and he was on pole at Aragon uh, sorry he was on pole at Bategi um, late last year he was on the front row at a couple of races prior to that as well He's quick. No one doubts how quick he is, but I think he just he needs the KTM to be quick enough for him to to get the most most out of it. Outside of him, um, the fastest KTM rider last season, as I mentioned, was um, eighth in the championship in Marcos Ramirez, who is staying with the same team. It's a newly named team. It's now called Bester Capital Dubai. 
Um, new title sponsor for them. It is essentially the Platinum Bay real estate team of last season. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ramirez, um, I, I think there's a potential for wins from this kid. I mean, he talked, he took us all by surprise last season with how quick he was and how he, you know, he was often the fastest KTM rider in races. Was fourth on a number of occasions. Got those two podiums uh, at the Sanctuary Ring and then at the final round in Valencia. Surely he's another rider, Dre. Where if the KTM's good enough, then he's very much good enough to win races. Yes, definitely. That Platinum State team was something else last year. Um, the probably the biggest shock in all three classes was yeah. seeing how that that the article the baby team you started out a Moto Free career when you when you play the video games, yeah. and the, and yet Ramirez and Darren Binder to a degree as well were super fast on occasions um, throughout the season. Um, yeah, if, if the KTM is fast, I don't see any reason why Marcos Ramirez wouldn't be up there. Um, very very quick indeed. Got got the got the best out of a KTM package that really wasn't very good last year. Yeah. Uh, if the KTM is more competitive, then there is no reason why Marcos won't be up there. Definitely a dark horse shout again for next for next year. Hmm. What about his teammate of last year or his regular teammate of last year who had his injuries, Darren Binder? Um, and it's amazing that we've got this far into our Moto Three preview and not talked about the team that we often look to as the strongest team in this class, uh, Red Bull KTM IO who. Um, have now decided to run just the one rider in this class as their efforts to uh, support their Moto2 and MotoGP teams ramp up. Um, Their Moto3 team has kind of suffered from that. But Ayo has taken one-man teams to the title in Grand Prix before. Just ask Joan Zarco for more information um, on that. Um, But but this kid has, I mean, he's like Ramirez, uh, has got undoubted ability. But he's been the real anomaly, hasn't he, of winter testing. Often found outside the top 20 in pre-season testing. And... In the first few practice sessions that we saw earlier this morning in Qatar, he was slowest of the lot. Absolutely. That was very, very bizarre. Um, yeah, we've not mentioned Red Bull KTM very much because there's not been a lot to talk about, unfortunately. Like, like they've, they've built around Binder, which on paper seemed like a really smart move. Yeah, uh, it worked for his older brother. Yeah, worked for his older brother. Binder, again, was a bit reckless last season, but had occasions where he looked like he could, he could win a Grand Prix or two. Um so they went with Binder, which I don't think was a bad move on, in theory, but he's not been anywhere competitive in testing or in free practice one this morning. Um, just doesn't look like he's he's on the same level as many of his of his compatriots here. Very, very bizarre on this one. Um, again, still early days. Um, maybe they'll get better as time goes on. It is a new team for Binder after all. He's probably not been used to such a to such a setup where the entire, you know, Red Bull KTM effort is, is now circling around him. But very bizarre to see him so far off the pace so far. Mm, yeah. Uh, other KTM riders who certainly deserve a mention. I mean, we're not on BT Sports payroll, so we didn't mention him first. But John McPhee, um, mm. who is pretty much the granddad of the class now. Um, the most experienced rider in this class, along with Jakob Kornfile, who's also on a KTM this season. Um, McPhee has joined the CIP team, or as they're now titled, the brilliantly named CIP Green Power team. Um, of course. For, for 2018. Um, we'll tell you about his teammate in a second because he's one of the f- several rookies that we have on the grid. Um, but McPhee enjoyed being on a Honda last season with the British talent team. That British talent team has, hasn't folded. It's now focused its efforts in the Junior World Championship um, uh, in that series with Tom Booth Amos. So you know, they're going to be supporting him in that class, um, the dominant champion of the British Motorstar Championship last season. But they are still supporting McPhee. Um Buddies with the CIP team now on a KTM and just looks fairly quick on it in preseason testing. But he's another rider I think may well suffer if KTM are still lacking behind Honda um, mm. over the course of this season. 
Um, but the if there's going to be a dark horse, if I was going to try and sound like a genius to all of you listeners who don't watch Modern 3 too often and say, here's a rider that you might well get, win a bit of money on this season, I'd go with Marco Bezzecchi. Um, who mm. is the Italian who got his first podium memorably in the wet Japan last season. And when we've looked at the preseason testing times, Dre, he has regularly been the fastest or one of the fastest KTM riders um, right throughout the winter. Um, a youngster, it was his rookie season last season, so it's his second full season now in the Moto3 Championship. Um, and Bezeki established himself late last year as a, a rider who would often, on that Mahindra, just pop up a little higher than you were expecting him to. Um, in, in any session that you looked at. So he might be a rider to keep an eye on this season for the mm. good result. And I think he was quick this morning as well, wasn't he? In the first practice session, I'm sure he was top six as well uh, in practice one um, in Qatar um, as he searches to check the timing screens from that session. Um, but he was pretty high up. So he might be a rider to keep an eye on as this season goes on. Um, but as I mentioned, there are several rookies <coughs> on the grid for this year's Moto3 class. Uh, and a lot of them have come out of the Junior World Championship um, I'll start with McPhee's teammate, who I mentioned a moment ago, and it's the first ever rider from Kazakhstan in the Grand Prix World Championship, Makar Yurchenko, uh, on number 76. He's the other rider with the CIP Green Power team. Had a pole position last season in the Junior World Championship and ended the season in the top 10 overall in the points. Um, so he's another rider that comes into this championship very well prepared from his time in CEV. Um, he'll be a rider who'll be looking to uh, learn from one of the most experienced riders in the class in John McPhee. Um, so keep an eye on him. Um, elsewhere, we have the Red Bull Rookies reigning champion, uh, Kazuki Masaki, who joins um, the RBA BOE Skull Rider team. They were the team that were running the uh, Australian Open colours, um, the lime blue and yellow of last season, uh, with Gabby Rodrigo as his teammate. Although it was an interesting story, Dre, with the uh, reasoning that Masaki has come into that team, because he came in quite late for Juan Fran Guevara. Um, who has taken the unusual decision and the brave decision of retiring at the age of 22. Yeah, I mean, that was a shock to everybody in the off-season, seeing a, 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 a talented rider in Guevara who, um, the again, had a, was on the podium last year, looked like he'd turn a corner a little bit, was up there in leading groups on many occasions last season, just hang up the gloves at 22, um, focusing on, on the world of business instead. Um, basically saying that, hey, it, it wasn't worth it for the results that he was getting. And it's a it's a stark reminder that, yeah, a lot of these guys are paying big money every year to be there. They are, they are giving their teams hundreds of thousands of euros to be able to compete um, at world championship level. And it, 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 can, it can affect anyone. Like getting sponsors is part of the game in motorsport and it's hard. Um, I still remember the story of Jack Miller being in Moto3 and the, the, the fact he's in MotoGP now. And it, we're talking about his past and the fact that he had to bait, like his parents had to remortgage his house to afford um the the amount of money to have their son chase his dream basically because it was like it was over 120,000 euros worth of funding to get him to the moto free grid um so it, it can be hard and that's the sort of money these guys are throwing at this to try and make it happen and yeah it's a real shame that the series has lost Guevara for that reason alone because yeah it's really really hard to compete at this level on the track on terms of chip performance the funding's another matter entirely mm. I, mean, um, I mean Guevara's statement is, is extraordinary um, that you know it just kind of hits home to you just what these riders have to put on the line to you know compete at this level or win at this level he says it was a very hard and thoughtful decision that I made with the help first of all of my family all of the directors of the fan club commission some of the main sponsors who supported me throughout the years 
My passion for the world of motorcycling has not changed at all, but different economic reasons and mainly personal ones have given rise to this irrevocable decision. I've decided to focus my career on the business world, studies that I've been combining all these years while racing in the Motorcycle World Championship. There's a, a lesson to any uh, young, young up-and-coming sportsman. Keep your studies going while you're doing so. Um, a point has arrived where I believe that in this way, I will be able to grow more as a person and also dedicate more time to different projects that I've been developing over the last few years. And until now, I have not been able to defend as they deserve. And this is the bit that really... Um, made me sit up and take notice everyone who is or has been in this world knows everything that has to be sacrificed in order to give 100% in the circuits I want to dedicate more time to my family and to recover in a certain way friends and people that I have neglected damn that is an ex- I've, I've not heard that statement before that is an extraordinary statement um it looks and like that's the thing when you if you want to be a world champion at this level it has to be your life it has to be all encompassing absolutely yeah it, it has to be your you can't part time this you have you have to dedicate everything to this and like i still find it stunning that people like miguel Oliveira was able to do a dentistry degree while still being able to to ride bikes and, 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 a law degree yeah, Karen's got a law degree. Miguel Oliveira's got is a, is a training dentist, and like, anyone that knows the UK knows that that is a, one of the hardest degrees and studies in the book. <laughs> like that, that, that's the sort of shit they would give you on separate UCAS forms because that was for the really smart people. <laughs> um, <laughs> trust me, I would know. Um, so, uh, like I said, like like that is not easy, and you've got to dedicate so so much to make this happen on on any level. Um and yeah, like the sort of the it made me sad. You know, I meant like the, the, the things like he's neglected members of his family because obviously he's been so dedicated to this as well. It's been, it, it's 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 sad. And but it's also a stark reminder that this is top, this is top level professional sport. And you know there is there is more to life than that. And, uh, um, in many many cases. And um, if you're gonna do it, and if you're gonna make a, de- a decision like that, probably better off at 22 when you've still got your whole life ahead of you, compared to maybe 30, 35, you could leave with next to nothing, and then you got to start a whole career again at the uh, at that sort of age. So, um, if Guevara's done that level of thinking and realised, you know that bike racing probably isn't going to be his life, then I think he's a very mature, responsible. Yeah, he, 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 you can tell he's clearly given this a lot of thought and realised that, you know what, he, his path is different. And that's a very brave and bold thing to do. And if he should be commended for that. Um, um, yeah, so I, I wish him all the best in, in whatever he decides to do in the future because, man, like, it's easy to take for granted just how hard bike racing can be. And um, that was a very stark reminder of that. Yeah, we wish him well um, in the future. Um Juan Guevara, who taking the very bold and brave decision to uh, retire from Grand Prix racing at the age of 21 when he retired. He's uh, since turned um, 22. Um, as I mentioned, his replacement is one of the several rookies, Kazuki Masaki, the reigning uh, Red Bull Rookies champion, um, the succeeding his fellow compatriot um, Ayumu Sasaki um, as the uh, previous Red Bull Rookies champion. So there, are, there does appear to be a new wave of young Japanese riders. There are four of Great them. There are four of them on the grid this season with Sasaki, Masaki, Suzuki, who Dre's already mentioned, and Keito Toba, who's riding for the Yidimitsu Honda Team Asia team. Uh, all on the grid this season. Um, the three other rookies, though, are probably the three that you can expect the most from this year. 
Uh, Alonso Lopez, um, who as the name indicates, is Spanish. It's about as Spanish a name as you can possibly get. Um, he was yes. he was he was fourth last year in the CEV Moto3 Junior World Championship uh, and won a race last year as well. He will be the teammate to Aaron Canet at the Estrella Galicia team on number 72. Um, so he was essentially drafted in when uh, Bastianini split from the team last year to go and ride for Leopard. Um, so that's Alonso Lopez, one of the rookies. The other two, though, we know a bit more about and I've seen before. Um, Dennis Foggia, who is the reigning junior world champion, won that title last season and is a VR46 Academy prospect and one of the most exciting of them. Um, he rode last season. We saw him at Aragon. Uh, we also saw him at the final round in Valencia. And Jaume Macia, who is going to be the teammate to Ramirez at the Best of Capital Dubai team, who we also saw last season uh, in spectacular fashion in Austria. Um, and as I mentioned, Dre, we know a bit about these two already. And one thing we do know, or two things we know, A, they're very quick, stating the obvious, yes. um, but B, they're both fearless. <laughs> they are ridiculous. Um, they will do and try anything. They have taken some hellacious crashes over the time as well and seem to just bounce. I think they're made of rubber at this point. Um, they just... They just seem to be able to bounce back and keep going, but they are very, very fast. They are completely fearless, which I guess is a good trait to have in a Moto3 series. Um, so, yeah, you're absolutely right. I couldn't agree anymore with that, with the sentiment. They are very quick. They'll be guys to watch. And, again, if they can smooth out some of their games, there's no reason why they can't be right up the front end. Yeah, for a bit of background on these two, um, Masia was the runner-up to Foggia in the Junior World Championship last season. Debuted in Austria last year as replacement to Darren Binder, who was injured. <laughs> Promptly set the lap record, ran as high as second uh, in yes. that race. And uh, he finished down in ninth in the end of that race, but he, he put us all on notice as to just how good he was. Um, so watch out at the end of the season. This is his first full season as a Grand Prix rider. His teammate to Marcos Ramirez, he'll be on number five um, with the best capital Dubai team. And Foggia, uh, who's on number 10, the reigning junior world champion, um, he made his debut last season at Aragon and promptly gave uh, John Mir an uppercut. Um, in that Grand Prix, um, midway through that race, as he was battling with the uh, soon-to-be world champion. Um, and, uh, yeah, Foggia had a strong end to the season as well. Um, he had an impressive final round of the season when he wild-carded in Valencia, finishing in seventh place. Uh, we ended up finishing eighth in that Aragon race as well, in that race where I mentioned he had that battle uh, with Mia. Um, to give you the full lineup then for Moto3 this season, I mentioned Best of Capital Dubai, who are in Masia and Ramirez. Um, the Patronas Sprinter Racing Team... Um, it's the season that you saw last season running in those black and orange Spanish National Circuit colours. They're unchanged. Adam Norodin and Ayumu Sasaki. Um, SkyVR46 are running Bulliga and Foggia. Uh, Avintia are back in uh, the uh, Moto3 class. Um, and the fact that they run the Belgian Xavier Simeon in MotoGP with RTL backing, they're running Livio Loy in Moto3. Those two facts may be related. Um, mm. The, the Prustal GP team, the German back team, which ran under the Saxoprint banner last season, they're now running KTMs uh, with Bezeki and Jakob Kornfile, the most experienced rider in the field. Um, Marinelli Snipers, who I've told you earlier on, are splitting their efforts now between Moto 2 and 3. They're running one rider in the lower class now, and that is Tony Arbolino. Uh, the Angel Nieto team, we haven't mentioned them, we should. Um, they're running KTMs. It's Aspar for those that are, uh, haven't caught up with the name change. Andrea Migno is their lead rider. They've signed him to replace Lorenzo Della Porta. Um, he will partner Albert Arenas. Migno, of course, the one rider to win on a KTM last year. Um, the CIP Green Power team are running McPhee and the rookie Yuchenko. Uh, RBA are running Gabby Rodrigo, multi-pole man of last year, and Kazuki Misaki, the Red Bull Rookies champion. Uh, Del Conca, Grassini are running the unchanged lineup of Di Gian Antonio and Martin. 
658 are running Nicola Antonelli and Tatsuki Suzuki. Uh, Idemitsu Honda Team Asia, they're unchanged from last season. Keito Toba and Nakarin Atirat Fuvapat. Leopard are running Bastianini and the former Junior World Champion Lorenzo Dalla Porta. Uh, Red Bull KTM Ayo are running Darren Binder on his own. Australia Galicia are running Aaron Canet and Alonso Lopez. And completing the lineup are the Sudmetal Schedel GP team, which, as you can probably guess, are running the same single rider they've run for several years, the German Philipp Ertl. Uh, and that completes your 28 rider Moto3 lineup. Um, and again, Dre, I think we might both have the same rider in mind here. But uh, of those 28, who do you reckon is going to take the title come Valencia in November? I think we'll have different names on this one. Hmm. I'm going to say Jorge Martin. Yeah, we are going to have different names then. Yeah, Martin. I was thinking Martin as a just the testing champion, if you like, that we've seen so far. But I'm going to stick with Aaron Canet, um, who okay. I, I, I was sort of keen on. Ever since I found out that Miro and Fanati moved up, I thought next year's got to be Canet's year. Um, and I think he, I think the pressures of the three title contenders, the pressure is probably more on the right. We haven't mentioned Bastianini, um, who probably has more to prove this season and has less time on his side. But yeah, I just edge in favour of Canet. But I think those three are going to be very, very close as the season goes on. And uh, I hope, because we haven't had it in Moto3 um, for the last couple of years, I hope we head to Valencia later on in the season with a very, very close title fight because uh, we get enough exciting races in Moto3 we haven't really had an exciting championship for a few years so let's hope this season provides just that whatever happens we will review each and every round as the season goes on we look forward to covering it all with you here on Bike Live and that starts next week uh, with episode 51 uh, of Bike Clear from Motorsport 101. Um, it's going to be a loaded show. It might well be even the first Bike Live that does the Motorsport 101 trick and splits because not only do we review the opening round of the MotoGP 2 and 3 seasons in Qatar, but we also have a brand new British Superbike season to preview because um, that will be just a week away um, by the time we talk to you next week. So a lot to come next week. Um, we're pretty much now going to be in the stage of having racing every single weekend if you're a bike fan, which is uh, great, great news. MotoGP this weekend. It's Thailand World Superbikes next weekend um, before the British Superbike season opener on Easter weekend. So a lot to come in the coming weeks, and we'll be covering it all here on Bike Live. If you like your four wheels, it's also a very exciting time of year, although Dre's keeping his excitement very much under control because the Formula 1 season is just a week away. Um, it gets underway mm. in Australia next weekend. Uh, and episode 127 of Motorsport 101, Dre, will preview it all. Yay. Yeah. Woo. Party time. Yes. <laughs> episode 127 will be our Formula 1 season preview. We'll try and make it more than 15 minutes long. I can't promise you anything here. Anyone who tries to convince me that Ferrari's got a chance will be stoned. Mm. Um, so, are, you saying uh, they'd have, are you saying they'd have to be stones to make such a prediction? Or <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever definition of that, you're probably right, quite frankly. So, yeah, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you on this one, guys. I mean, it, it's looking a lot like it's going to be a, another Mercedes-led charge from the front. But, hey, who knows? Maybe Hassel spring a surprise or something. I'm probably speaking more out of hope than expectation. So, well, yeah, we'll, we will try and make sense of it all as we preview the 2018 Formula 1 season next week on Motorsport 101. Yeah, keep an eye out for that. Before the weekend next week, it will go online and before the uh, Formula 1 weekend gets underway. Um, and I can tell you that with confidence because I'm the one that's going to be editing it. So um, we'll assure you that we get it up to you as soon as possible ahead of the opening Grand Prix weekend of the season, uh, which is, of course, in Melbourne. 
um, next weekend. We've got a lot to look forward to, as I mentioned, next week, episode 51 of Bike Player View Motorsport 101. Uh, we'll review the opening round of the MotoGP, Moto2 and Moto3 seasons. Um, the time for talking is over. We can finally look forward to the racing under the lights. In the side, we look forward to this MotoGP, Moto2 and Moto3 season. It is finally here. We'll see you next week.